Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, this week we start an exciting series in the book of James called Faith That Works. So turn to the book of James as Dr. Newfeld brings his first message entitled Wisdom for God's People. There is a general feeling out there that the term evangelical Christian, well, it just doesn't mean what it used to mean. And what I mean to say is that if you were to ask the average secular North American what what he or she thinks about when he or she hears the word evangelical, I'm going to guess that one of the things that they might say is, well, right-wing evangelical. And so for a great many people, evangelical is a religion wrapped up in a political party. Now, I also imagine that they might say that, you know, evangelicals oppose abortion, that they oppose homosexuality, and that as a rule, North Americans think that evangelicals are most likely white, they tend to live away from the large cities, all those kinds of things. Now, I make no comment today about how a person votes or about their racial background, nor their concern about the sexual mores of the day. But by the way, a great many evangelicals in North America are not white. But what I think is lacking in the public's perception of evangelicals, or what I think evangelicals are not known for, are the highest ethical standards, or loving their enemies, or honesty in business, or devotion to prayer, or sacrificial love for those who are unlike themselves. See, when people talk about evangelicals, what what first comes to mind is not, oh, well, those are the people whose lives are invested in blessing the poor who speak respectfully to everyone, who are known for truthfulness even when it inconveniences them. Look, I'm not criticizing. I'm not saying that all evangelicals are unchristlike, and and I am more than aware that we evangelicals are sometimes unfairly criticized. And I'm surely not saying that if we were only more Christlike, well, then the world would love us more. But there is an uncomfortable truth behind all of these characterizations of evangelicals. See, I think it's fair to say that we have lost our focus. We have forgotten why Christ called us. Let me give a little illustration. If I see one more bumper sticker that says, Christians aren't perfect, we're just forgiven. I mean, if I see one more of those bumper stickers, I think I'm going to scream. Of course we're not perfect, but we are far more than just forgiven. See, forgiveness means that I now find my former sin to be repulsive. So why not say, Christians aren't perfect, but we are repentant. And we know that we're in need of the grace that changes the way we act towards God and towards our fellow man. I guess I literally lust after a reputation where we can be known for compassion, truth, love, and biblical faithfulness, all expressed as we focus our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why am I saying these things? I say all these things as an introduction to a four-week series on the book of James. As we go through this remarkable and very important book, we will discover a series of themes. They will include everything from how to stand up under both trials and temptations, an explanation and a description of what constitutes true religion, or to put in terms that we're most comfortable with today, authentic spirituality. James will teach us how to put our faith into concrete action, the importance of using our tongues to heal and not build division between people. 
James teaches us how to be at peace both with God and with each other. And James will teach us the hazards of having money and the temptations that attend to us when we become wealthy. You know, finally, James will encourage every believer to be more fervent in prayer, believing that God has the answers for us rather than relying on human means and human scheming. You know, James has often been called the New Testament book of Proverbs. If you know the book of Proverbs, you'll know that Proverbs is all about wisdom. And wisdom, if you want to define the word, is all about learning to live skillfully. It's about making those choices in life in which we maximize our long-term joy and success and minimize the damage that comes from foolishness. But James is not just about wisdom. It's about wisdom to the Christian community. And what I mean here is that being a Christian changes the way in which we think about the good life. Do you remember that Jesus said that it was those who are poor in spirit and those who mourn, the meek and those who are hungering after righteousness, even those persecuted for his name's sake that are blessed? You see, the blessed life is attained by seeking qualities that everyone else rejects. So if you're going to live for Christ, you're going to have to get used to highly valuing things that this world or the culture in which we live utterly rejects. And yet, we too are going to need wisdom. If we're going to know how to live well as a Christian, we will need to know how to bathe our souls in Christian wisdom so that we're empowered to make those kinds of decisions that lead us into the blessed life. And so as we begin to read James, we will see that in chapter 1, it's all about learning to persevere and be patient under great suffering. Chapter 2 is about faith, defining it and learning to live by it. Chapter 3 is about exercising restraint, both in how we use our tongues and in how we react when we encounter evil. Chapter 4 is about submission and about humility, walking in God's will and not in our own. And finally, chapter 5 is all about patience, learning not to run ahead of God and making room in our lives to welcome Him when He acts. Now, before I move on, I want to step back for a moment and mention one of the criticisms that's often leveled at the book of James. The book of James is so very different from every other New Testament book. You know, the most obvious difference is that James does not mention Jesus very often. In fact, the name Jesus is only found on two occasions in this entire book. The first reference is found in James 1, verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the second and the last mention of the name of Jesus is found in James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's it. You know, unlike Paul's letters, which are filled with both descriptions of Jesus and calls for believers to glory in that name, James contains none of that high Christology. And more, James has no mention of the life of Jesus or the sufferings and the death of Jesus, nor of his resurrection. He makes no mention of redemption and how it is that the cross provides for us our justification before God. And furthermore, as some of us may already know, Critics of James charge that in his treatment of faith, found in chapter 2, he seems to say things that directly contradict the writings of Paul. Now, just so you know, I will deal with that charge directly when we get to chapter 2, but, but I mention it now to help understand why some people 
find this book so difficult. Some of you might also know that at one time, Martin Luther himself referred to this book as the Epistle of Straw. Now, to put that into perspective, Luther himself struggled with how to integrate what James was teaching into the wider corpus of New Testament teaching. We should know that by the end of his struggle, Luther had reconciled himself to this book, but that process took some time and study for him. Now, I mention this because as we study this book, we're going to have to come to terms with what it is that the book actually says and what it is that it doesn't say. So let's at the outset put down some foundation stones for understanding this book. James was probably written between A.D. 48 to 52. None of the Gospels had then been written. That is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had not yet come into existence. And so, in case you wonder why it is that James never quotes from those four books, well, there's the reason. I guess what I'm saying is that James reflects the very early phase in the life of the church when the doctrine of Christ was still to be fully revealed by the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean that James is a primitive book. Rather, James is concerned that God's people learn to live faithfully, authentically, and ethically. And a little thought will tell you why this is one of the key messages that the church of today must always pursue. You see, we may have a high view of Christ, and we might understand his atoning purposes, his position in the Godhead, the two natures of Jesus in his incarnation. We may understand that all history is moving inexorably towards a conclusion when Christ returns and makes the world his own, and all of that's necessary for believers. But if we have not learned how to live in such a way as Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, well, how can our message of Jesus be heard? Ah, yes. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. There's no substitute for authentic, consistent, ethical Christianity. That's what we will find in this amazing book. At Back to the Bible Canada, our mission is simple. Teach the Bible. The perfect guidance and instruction on how we are to live our lives is already available in His Word. The Bible is the only self-help book you'll ever need. This month, we have an outstanding resource to help prime your hearts to receive the wisdom of the Bible. Before You Open Your Bible by Matt Smethurst is an excellent book that shares how we can position our mindset to one of gratitude and humbleness in preparation for reading the Word. We're confident this will help positively influence the way you view your Bible study. And that's why we've made this resource available for you for free for the month of July. So simply call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to request your free copy or to send a financial gift to support this Bible teaching ministry. I have been making the point that it is vital for Christians to study the book of James. Some Bible teachers have argued that this book is a wonderful companion piece to the ethical teachings of Jesus that, that we find in the Gospels. You know, James is about living morally in the light of Jesus. James is about wisdom. 
James 1 verse 5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask of God. Or listen to James 3 verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Or James 3 verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Don't you see, being a Christian is more than simply believing the right things. It's also acting in the right way. That's James. That's a voice the Christian church in North America needs to hear and follow. That's why I feel it necessary to study this book. We need to hear its message. But before we dive in, let's do the work of good Bible students, shall we? Who wrote this book? To whom was it written? And how would those who originally received the book have understood its instruction? I say that because if you don't know it yet, learn it now. We will never understand any Bible passage if we just jump to application immediately. You learn nothing about the Bible by pretending that you can understand it without first learning to understand what we are reading in its historic context. Then and only then will we be able to apply this book to our own lives. So let's start where people who take the Bible seriously must start. Who is James, or who is the man who wrote this book? You know, the book itself gives us only a slight hint. It simply starts by saying, James, a servant of God. By the way, that kind of an introduction tells us this book is written as a letter. You know, in the ancient world, unlike ours, you'd start a letter by putting your name on it at the beginning, and that's what we find here. But who is this James? Well, here's a little hint. Notice that the book doesn't start with the words, James, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And because of that, we might assume that James might not have been an apostle. I say that because you might remember that one of the 12 whom Jesus chose is a man named James, the son of Zebedee. He is said to have been the brother of John, and yeah, that's the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, the three letters of John, and also the book of Revelation. Well, given that writing was in the family, why should we discount James, the son of Zebedee, as the author of this book? Well, we do, because of what we know from Acts 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Now, once we put the chronology of that event together, we come to the conclusion that that event happened in AD 44. And we also know that the very earliest the book of James was written was in AD 48, four years later. And so that discounts James, the son of Zebedee, as the author of this book. But there is another James among the 12 apostles of Jesus. Matthew 3.18 mentions James, the son of Alphaeus. Now that this James would have written the book is, of course, a possibility, except that no tradition or historic document ever mentions that James is the author of this book. Look at it this way. All of the New Testament books are attested as genuine from those who knew the authors. And we have early church documents authenticating all of our New Testament books. And in all of these writings, no one even hints that James, the son of Alphaeus, wrote this book. So it's highly unlikely. Well, then, whom are we left with? Well, let me take you to Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. Jesus is there being rejected by the people in his home village of Nazareth. How is he special, they say? 
We saw him grow up in our hometown. And then they add, and I quote, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? And so we learn that after the miraculous virgin birth of Jesus, Mary, contrary to myth, did have normal relations with her husband, Joseph, and they produced four more boys and a number of girls. It was a, it was a big family. And the oldest of those boys after Jesus is James. And here's what we know about this James. John chapter 7, verse 5 says, not even his brothers believed in him. So we know that while Jesus entered into public full-time ministry for those three years, James and the other three boys did not believe that their older brother was the Messiah. What then became of this James? Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, the Apostle Paul is writing about the historical truth of the resurrection of Jesus. Paul says that after his death and resurrection, Jesus appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And then he says at one time he actually preached to some 500 people who all saw and recognized him. And then in verse 7, Paul says, then he appeared to James. He means here he appeared to his own brother, or I guess technically his half-brother. Well, now, you've got to believe that was quite an encounter. I mean, after all, Mary had stood at the cross and witnessed her son die. You know, she was heartbroken, and one can only imagine the impact the crucifixion had on that entire large family. Joseph had already died. Now Jesus, the oldest, was crucified. James now becomes the next, the oldest, in what is left. And then after the resurrection, the brother who doesn't believe has a one-on-one -on -one encounter with his older brother and his Savior, Jesus. I do wish I could have been there as Jesus showed James his hands and his feet and his side and, and might have said, as he had said to Thomas, come on, James, touch me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. I can only imagine James saying, as Thomas had done before him, my Lord and my God. So what happens to James after that? Well, we meet him again in a very historic moment, and that's recorded in Acts 15. This is the very famous Council of Jerusalem when the global church met in Jerusalem to discuss whether or not they should accept Gentiles into the church. First Peter speaks, then Paul speaks, and then Acts 15 verse 13 says, after they had finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Well, now, first, this is the same James, the half-brother of Jesus. But why is he speaking here? Well, it turns out that this James became, in our language, the senior pastor of the Christian church in Jerusalem. And just so we also understand, James was never considered an apostle, but conducted his ministry under the leadership of the apostle Peter. And so this James, he has become the senior pastor of the most significant Christian church among the Jewish people. And since we have to assume that he's preaching to his own people every week, all the time, why does he write this letter? Well, look again at James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. Well, who are the 12 tribes? Well, the 12 tribes are a reference to the Jewish people. Okay, but is he just writing to the Jewish diaspora? I mean, after all, the Jewish people were living in many lands. Well, no, I think most probably James is referring to something that's very personal to him. 
So you might remember that the book of Acts describes in great detail the very first Christian martyr, a deacon named Stephen. Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says that after his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, when persecution against Christians broke out in Jerusalem, Pastor James lost a great many of his flock, but he never stopped being their pastor. You know, pastoral ministry is like that. You know, sometimes pastors are removed from their people, and and sometimes people are removed from their pastor. But a faithful pastor never stops caring. And, And Pastor James wrote the book of James to his scattered congregation. He wanted them to live faithfully wherever they were. Circumstances may not have turned out as they dreamt, but James wanted to be sure that his people were conducting themselves like faithful Christians wherever they lived. They may be exiles, but they never stop representing their Savior. And that's our point of contact. No matter how your life has turned out, you are never to stop living ethically, faithfully, authentically demonstrating the wisdom of God and representing Jesus wherever you are. The book of James, although written to people different from us and in a very different time period, turns out bears a message that all of us need to hear. How shall we be authentic, living as Christians in a land where the majority don't know our Savior? Over the next four weeks, listen to the voice of a very faithful pastor, Pastor James, senior pastor of the early church in Jerusalem, teach you how. John, thanks so much. This is a great beginning to this series in the book of James, but it really is an important book, isn't it? It really does charge Christians to live what they believe. Yeah, I think it is about ethics. It's about lifestyle. It's about how people view believers. It's about what ought to motivate us into action. As I've said, it really is not a book about high Christology or the doctrine of Christ. James will leave that for others to address, but but this is a very significant issue nonetheless. If we miss the ethical dimensions of our faith, we must not be surprised that, that no one else will listen to anything else that we have to say. Thanks so much. Remember to join us again tomorrow for our continuing of the series, Faith That Works, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Back to the Bible Canada has just wrapped up another fiscal year, and we're beyond grateful for all your gifts toward our year-end target. Your generous donations have helped position this ministry for another successful year of sharing the gospel in every way imaginable. We're so excited for everything we have in store for this next year, so stay tuned. Our match campaign in June was a huge success, but we're humbled to say The amount of the pledges we received for the match campaign exceeded our expectations. Therefore, we're able to extend the campaign into July with an additional $75,000. So dollar for dollar, your gift will be matched up to an additional $75,000 in the month of July. We're so grateful for your gracious support right across Canada. So to double your impact, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit Back to the Bible. Dot CA.